Well, great to see you, everybody. A very warm welcome uh, to Kingsgate. Very warm welcome to you all uh, here and anybody that's watching on at Cafe Church, Kingsgate Leicester, Kingsgate London. Really great to be with you. And can I start off by saying a happy new year? Um, absolutely. Really looking forward to what the new year uh, holds for all of us and particularly happy to be here uh, today to start off the new year by starting off a new sermon series. We're looking at a sermon series called uh, Beginning the Year with uh, Confidence. You know, if we were to look out there in the news, there are no news updates to tell us that the pace of modern life is going to slow this year. Also, you may have heard just one or two news items about a little thing called Brexit on the horizon. Let's just say that out there, there's a lot of uncertainty. So what better way to start the new year than by looking at what it means to have spiritual confidence? That because we can trust in our great God, we don't have to worry about the circumstances. Rather, we can look forward to a great year. Amen? Absolutely, and I think it's going to be a fantastic series. We've got uh, three sermons, three messages to look at each week, looking at a different aspect of confidence and how we can uh, have it. And each week we're going to be taking as our text for this Philippians chapter 4. There's many reasons I'm excited about doing this sermon series and this message, but one of them is that we're looking at the letter to the Philippians. Fantastic letter in the New Testament, written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And actually, when he writes this letter, the Apostle Paul is in rather uncertain circumstances himself. His future is pretty uncertain because he's actually writing from prison. And yet, throughout the letter, there is no sign whatsoever of that uncertainty coming through. Rather, Philippians is a letter that is brimming over with confidence in the Lord. And chapter 4 is no different than any other part of the letter. So what better place to look to see how we can begin this year with Confidence. And I'm going to start off today, just in case you thought this was a very large uh, introduction for somebody else, uh, I'm going to begin today by looking at the first aspect of confidence by thinking about how we can have peace regardless of the circumstances. Peace rather than worrying or being anxious about the circumstances. Or as I've called it, peace amidst the storms. When I think about that little expression and this whole subject, my mind goes to a little story from church history. Uh, from the 18th century. It's a story you might know, you might not know, it doesn't matter either way. But John Wesley uh, was at this time uh, uh, in his early 30s, so let's just say a very, very young man. And he was, um, he was uh, an Anglican minister at the time, but by his own record, he didn't really have a true relationship with God. But that was all about to change. And part of what set off the spark for that change was something he witnessed when he was traveling from England to America. And as you would in the 18th century, he was traveling by ship. And at one point during the journey, the ship on which Wesley was traveling sailed into stormy waters. They sailed into a violent storm. And it was throwing the ship one way and the other way. And there were huge walls of water coming up and crashing over the side of the ship and smashing down onto the decks. And everybody on board was absolutely terrified and was screaming for their lives. Well, not quite everybody. John Wesley observed a group of Moravian Christians. These are uh, missionaries originally from Moravia, modern-day Czech Republic, who found their way to uh, England and were now on their way from England on this same ship, along with all the other English people, uh, on their way to America. And as the ship sailed into this stormy water, as the storm took itself upon the ship and was throwing the ship all over the place, 
they had been starting to have a worship service. They'd been praying, they'd been singing, they'd been giving thanks to God. And as they entered in this storm, and by Wesley's account in his diaries, all the English people on the boat were screaming and running this way and that, absolutely certain they were going to die. He watched these Moravians. You know what they did? Not a lot. <laughs> they continued to pray. They continued to worship. They were quiet. They were serene. They were at peace. And this had a profound effect on John Wesley. In a sense, he kind of allied himself, aligned himself with these uh, Moravians. And it was just three years later, he was in a, a, a Moravian meeting in Aldersgate Street in London, just around the corner from Kingsgate, London, as it happens. And if you go there today, you'll see a sign up commemorating it as the conversion, uh, the, the, the space where, or the spot where John Wesley was finally converted, where he finally found a true relationship with God. Because in that meeting, as someone was reading a commentary on the scriptures, he said that he had a, a feeling that he reported later was as though his heart was strangely warmed. And the significance of that can hardly be overstated, really, because he went, went on to become the John Wesley we know about today, one of the greatest church leaders that this country has ever produced. And what sparked it all off was looking at those people who, whose trust in the Lord was so great that they were at peace amidst the storm. Now, when I think about that little story, three things come to mind for me. Number one, I can identify with that story as something of a natural-born warrior, somebody who, in my natural self, is very much sort of knocked about by the circumstances of life, blown about by the storms, if you like, uh, you know, filled with worry, filled with anxiety. Ever since I've become a Christian, I have noticed an increase of peace in my life, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what goes on around me. So I can identify with that, and I hope you can identify to that, with that story, with those Moravians to some degree yourself. But the second thing that story does for me is it challenges me. Because however much of an increase of peace I've felt amidst the storms, I'm not quite sure I'm where they're at. <laughs> I'm not quite sure that if the storms were threatening my very life, that I would just be at calm, at total peace, and just continue rejoicing and praying to the Lord. Perhaps that's where you're at. Perhaps you'd say, um, you know, I, I'm at peace most of the time. There aren't any particular big storms for me in my life right now. Well, let it be a challenge to you. Are you where they're at? Can you honestly say if the storms were to come, and I pray they won't, but they might, if the storms were to come, then you'd have that sense of peace. So maybe today is a challenge for you uh, to get ready. Maybe this is a message of preparation to see who we can have, be prepared for peace amidst the storms that might come. But the third thing that that story does for me is it brings me encouragement. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you're in a storm right now. Maybe you would say, in fact, it doesn't even have to be a particularly big storm, that actually the circumstances of life, the storms of life, that seems to be what dictates your life rather than trusting in the Lord. You don't feel very confident. You feel worried all the time. Maybe you struggle, you suffer with anxiety. Um, perhaps you'd say, you know, this is kind of ruling your life and perhaps ruining your life at the moment. Well, let me encourage you. The same God that those Moravians were trusting in to get them through their storm is the same God that you can trust in today to get you through your storm. Absolutely. So whether it's something you can identify with, whether it's a challenge to you, whether it's an encouragement, I'm excited today that we're going to really look at this subject and see how we can have peace amidst the storms. And to help us do it, we're going to look at the first passage of Philippians chapter 4. 
So I'm going to read for us from uh, verses 4 to 9. If you've got an NIV Bible, that's the translation I'm reading from here. So you can bring that up on your device now. Or if you've got an old-fashioned book, you can open one of those. Or follow on uh, with the screen uh, behind me. But Philippians 4, verses 4 to 9, it says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. It's a wonderful passage of scripture. And, you know, part of my personal journey uh, against anxiety, part of my personal journey towards peace really has involved this passage of scripture. And I want to take it and I want to look at two things that we can do to give us peace amidst the storm. And the first one is this. Don't worry, rejoice, and remember he is near. Can you say that for me, please? Don't worry. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So the very first thing the Apostle Paul exhorts us, encourages us to do here, if we want to have peace amidst the storm, is to rejoice. And to underline it, just in case we don't get the message, he backs it up right away and says, I say it again, rejoice. He's obviously very keen in his encouragement here. He wants us to be those who rejoice. It's like he knows. If we can be the kind of people that can take our mind off of our troubles, off our worries, and put them onto the Lord and remind ourselves how big our God is, how good our God is, how glorious our God is, then all of a sudden our problems seem to feel so much smaller. Notice he does not ask us to rejoice in the circumstances. He doesn't say, you've got a storm going on right now. Well, just look at that wonderful storm. Isn't it fantastic? Just rejoice in that storm. No, not rejoice in the circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord. The circumstances of life may be uncertain, may make you worry, may give you anxiety, and you don't know what's going to happen. But the Lord is absolutely certain. The circumstances may be stormy, and you don't know what's going to happen. But the Lord is an anchor in that storm. You might say to me, but Tom, in this storm right now, when I'm anxious, when I'm worried, the very last thing I want to do is rejoice. Well, let me encourage you. It isn't just something we should do, because it's a good thing to do, to rejoice in God. I don't think the Apostle Paul's being like a sort of um, you know, harsh schoolmaster here, wrapping our knuckles and say, well, whatever your problems are, forget about those and rejoice in God, he's good. I think, yes, it's the right thing to do, but I also think it's a helpful and powerful thing to do. I believe that actually rejoicing is the very fertile soil out of which peace grows. There is power in rejoicing. And there's no question the Apostle Paul knows this. And we can think about this by just considering the context. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And he's not writing as an outsider to the church in Philippi. Actually, he loves the church in Philippi. In fact, if I was going to guess, looking at all the letters in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul, it appears to be his favorite church. In fact, he founded this church. And you can read about how that happens in Acts chapter 16. 
And one particular incident that happens, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 16, is when Paul gets to Philippi, causes such a commotion there that he gets thrown in jail. Now, Philippi was a, a Roman colony, and so to be thrown in jail, you were basically at the hands of the Roman Empire. I don't know about you, but if I was in jail, chained to a wall at the hands of the Roman Empire, I would consider that to be a storm, okay? I would say that my circumstances were pretty sketchy, that they were, my future was fairly uncertain. And so how does the Apostle Paul react to this particular storm that he's in? Well, we can see, because it tells us in the book of Acts, what happened round about midnight. And just imagine, midnight, chained to a wall in a Roman prison, how would you react to that storm? I know for me, <clears throat> just recently, I mean, I think I've mentioned this most time I've preached, that our boys, Jack and Isaac, don't sleep terribly well. Well, they decided to give it a bit of a boost over Christmas. I think it unsettles them, just the sort of change and so on. And just last week, I was preparing for this, and I was up at midnight with Isaac. Uh, my future, at least for the next couple of hours, was looking very uncertain at that particular time. And let's just say, I was not really rejoicing at that particular time, okay? Through that storm, I was just trying to kind of bear it out. But I shouldn't be doing that. I should be applying what the Apostle Paul did when he got to Philippi. And we read about it in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. It says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I bet they were. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. See, there is power in rejoicing. The Apostle Paul here is in a storm. His circumstances are not good. His future is not looking very secure, very safe. What does he do? He refuses to worry about his circumstances, about his future. He refuses to worry about those things that are uncertain. And instead, he puts his mind, his heart, his emotions, his will onto those things that are certain. That is, he's praying and singing his hymns. What's he doing? He's rejoicing. They're rejoicing at midnight. He's rejoicing through the storm. And what happens when they rejoice? God sends an earthquake and chains are broken. There is power in rejoicing. It's like the Apostle Paul is saying, church at Philippi, it's out of this incident, this little happening here, that this church was birthed. Don't forget your roots. There is power in rejoicing, whatever the circumstances, whatever the storms, rejoice in the Lord. And God is going to send earthquakes and God is going to break chains. And that's a word for some of you of encouragement, definitely today. Some of you, you are in chains of anxiety. That's how it feels. Doesn't matter what the circumstances, what the psalms, you just feel bound. And I want to tell you this. If you can um, cultivate a habit, if you can make sure you're a rejoicer, if you can whip up like in your own uh, feelings, your hearts, your emotions, activate those positive emotions. Remind yourself of how good, how glorious the Lord is and rejoice. God is going to send earthquakes. God is going to break those chains of anxiety. I'm not saying it just as a one-off, like you go rejoice and then see what happens. I'm talking about a discipline here. Not just going for it when the music's on, though that's a wonderful thing to do, but a daily habit of reminding yourself how good he is, how wonderful he is and rejoicing. And we're going to see some earthquakes come and we're going to see some chains broken at the beginning of 2019 in Jesus' name. <clears throat> so we need to be disciplined in our rejoicing. But not only that, be disciplined in our remembering. Paul goes on to say, the Lord is near. 
Why does he say that to the Philippians? They're already Christians. They're already a church. Presumably they know this and perhaps talk about this each week. Why does he say He wants to remind them. He's saying when you've got troubles and anxieties and worries in life, remember the Lord is near and it will help with that. Okay? It will ease that suffering, that anxious feeling that you've got inside. Just to know that God is with you can make such a difference. Some of you might remember me saying just a few weeks ago that just recently uh, I had uh, introduced my little boy Jack to the Chronicles of Narnia, to the BBC adaptation from the 80s of the Narnia stories, and particularly to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You might also remember me saying that my wife wasn't terribly keen on this because she'd seen those versions and she thought he might be scared about the, uh, the witch and the wolves and so on. And you might remember me saying that we compromised, we waited till she was out, and then we watched it, okay? <clears throat> Sorry to get a laugh off the same joke, but there we go. Well, since then, Jack has not been sleeping very well. And <clears throat> now, I promise you, for reasons that will become unclear, there's no connection there, okay? And uh, Becky hasn't made that connection, so don't go making it for her if you see her around, okay? I think it's just because they get unsettled at Christmas. We have this every year, the beginning of a year, all of a sudden he keeps wanting to get out of his bed and all this kind of stuff, and he's saying he's scared in his room. So we basically said this, we just, when we put him down at night, we said, well, we'll leave the door ajar, and we'll just sit outside. We sit outside for a little bit, and then two, three minutes later, you stick back, your head back in, and you can just hear, <coughs> and he's out like a light, completely zonkoed. Just knowing that we are near, it's just enough for him to make that fear, those anxieties go away. And how much more when you've not just got your father near you, but your loving heavenly father near you, does it help you with your worries, with your anxieties? But truth be told, that's actually maybe not what the Apostle Paul means here by saying the Lord is near. He might mean the Lord is near in terms of space, that is, uh, God is with you all the time. But he might mean the Lord is near in terms of time. In other words, what he might be saying here, and a lot of commentators think this is actually the case, it fits with Philippians, not only that, he's using the word Lord, uh, translated from kurios here, normally that's referring to Jesus, that he might be saying Jesus is coming back soon, that is the Lord's return is near. Well, it doesn't terribly matter because either way it's a comfort. It's either a comfort knowing God is around you or a comfort knowing that Jesus is coming back at some point. The reason I don't think Jack is scared is because of the wolves and the witches, is that I know that ever since the first time round when he watched that story, and he was a bit scared, hiding behind the sofa and so on, now he's seen it all the way through. On second retellings, and when we go out and play Narnia in the garden, he's not scared of the wolves and the witches at all. You know why? Because he knows how the story ends. He knows at some point, Aslan, if you don't know the stories, Aslan is a, a scarily close picture to Jesus. Uh, I'd go so far as to say almost a perfect picture of Jesus. And he knows that at some point Aslan is going to come back. And that just gives him comfort. He knows now the wolves and the witches are just nasty enemies that are going to be defeated. He knows they're not the end of the story. Aslan is the end of the story. And wrong will be made right when Aslan comes in sight. That's kind of what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying whatever you're going through right now, those storms will pass. They're not the whole story. The end of the story is that Jesus will one day come back, the second coming of Jesus. So yes, we have comfort that he's with us and around us all the time, but we also have an ultimate comfort that however bad the storms get, one day Jesus is coming back. When I was a, a little boy, when I was about eight years old, 
I used to have a real problem with my attention span. If you speak to Becky now, she'll say, this is all solved now, so you know, there's nothing to worry about there. But I used to really struggle with this, really suffer with this. I can remember being in primary school, I can remember quite vividly being in the back of the classroom on the back right, and over in the front of the classroom, on the front on my left, I could see the big clock, and I would literally clock watch my way through school. It was one of those huge clocks that had a ticking second hand, and I don't know if you've ever no noticed this, but if you're actually watching, sometimes the second hand even goes backwards. It was just torture. And remember, all I needed to do was get to two o'clock, the afternoon break. And if I could make it that far, then the suffering was over and I'd be okay. I knew it wasn't far after that till the end of school. And I'd watch it come round, 10 to 2, 5 to 2, and then eventually... The second hand would tick over and we'd be on two o'clock and the teacher would dismiss us and the suffering was over. And they'd release us out onto the school field. I can remember particularly around summertime when we'd just run out, or four of us would run out onto that school field and we'd all shout, to the top of the tree, which is semantically nonsense. We meant to the tree at the top. But anyway, we would run to this tree at the top of the field and plonk ourselves down and share stories of what we'd watched on telly the previous night and all that kind of stuff. It was wonderful. And I've got vivid recollections of just running across that lush green grass as a young boy. You know in stories about kids, it says about he ran as fast as his little legs would carry him. Such a vivid image. That's what reminds me of that, running with that lovely blue sky above me, the green grass below, wonderful golden sun. You know how the sun in summer actually sort of seems to heat the inside of you. That sweet bird song of we'd go up and just plonk ourselves down and chat. And you know what? That's something like what it's like for us when we're struggling, when we're suffering with things right now. One day, yes, the Lord will help us now and there are comforts and things that come now and the storms will pass right now. But if you want to know the ultimate blessing, one day, the final hour, the final minute, the final second will tick over where Jesus Christ himself will come back. And it doesn't matter whether we're dead or alive at that particular time. But all of us will be raised and we'll be given a new resurrection body. And he will usher in the new age. And this age will just seem like a tiny infinitesimal fraction of what that new glorious age, the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like. And I want to tell you, the bluest sky you can imagine, the greenest grass you can imagine, the most golden sun you can imagine, the sweetest bird song you can imagine, none of it will come anywhere close to the beauty of the new heavens and the new earth. And just to have Jesus Christ with us, we won't be able to worry. It will be physically impossible to actually feel anxiety. Whatever our trials and tribulations, our worries right now, if we look at those in the light of eternity, just like me looking at that clock and thinking five to two, I can get through this because there's a wonderful reward coming. We can deal with these things. We just need to have a good discipline of rejoicing and a good discipline of remembering that he is near. <clears throat> That's the first thing that we can do. The second thing is this. Don't worry, pray and ponder the good things. Don't worry and pray and ponder the good things. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I said before, I've been something, on something of a personal journey with anxiety on a certain path to peace. It's really these couple of verses that made the big difference for me. 
The way I tried to deal with my worry in the past, before I became a Christian, and probably in the early days of becoming a Christian, until I discovered this truth, was that I would basically try and deal with it all myself. It was like I was being my own God, if you like. I was sort of saying, Tom, you can deal with this. You're omnipotent. You're all-powerful. That's nonsense, isn't it? And I don't mean this unkindly, but it may well be that that's where you're at today. You're struggling because essentially you're trying to sort out everything yourself. And what does this verse say or these verses say? It says, don't do that. Don't be anxious about anything in every single situation. Present your requests to God. Don't pray to yourself. Don't try and sort things out yourself. Hand it over to God. Release that terrible burden of what worry is doing to you. Take it off yourself and hand it over to God. The word translated anxiety here comes from a Greek word which means to tear up. Isn't that exactly what worry is like if you try and deal with it? It's like it's just tearing up your mind. And God is saying, don't do that. And I used to say to myself, as a sort of paraphrase of these couple of verses, Tom, don't worry about it, pray about it. Take it as a burden off yourself and hand it over to God. What's more, God wants you to do this. It actually tells us, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. God loves you. He's your father. He cares for you. He doesn't want you to worry. He wants to deal with all that stuff. He's got big enough shoulders to bear that burden. Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to take upon himself the sins of the world. He endured the agonies of hell for us just so that he could be with us. You think he can't carry our burdens beyond that? Of course he can. He wants you to do that. And isn't this glorious? Isn't it wonderful when someone takes a burden from you? Remember, uh, nearly four years ago, just before Jack was born, um, we were waiting for the time to come. And as of the time approached, as we were getting closer and closer to the due date, it began to dawn on me, because I was trying to get all my ducks in a row at work, trying to get everything sorted before Jack came and I went off on my two-week paternity leave. As I was trying to do that, it dawned on me, I wasn't going to get everything done. There's just no way it was going to happen. And I didn't think, based on conversations I already had with my wife, that she was up for waiting or anything like that. So I thought, I'm just going to have to deal with this somehow. So I looked at what was on the table, and I decided to give one of my colleagues, Aaron, also one of my friends, um, a ring. And so I phoned him, and now we were supposed to have about 300 assignments to mark between us coming. They'd already come in, and I was supposed to be marking them. And I just said, look, mate, with everything else I've got to sort out, and with the baby coming, there's just no way I'm going to be able to do this. So here's what I'm thinking. How about, instead of us sharing the marking this year, how about you do all of the marking this year, and then next year, I'll do all of the marking. Okay, so after two years, it'll all be fair. You know what he said to me? And he had every right to say no. He had every right to say, look, you're going to have to sort this out yourself, speak to the boss and tell them that you couldn't organize yourself properly or get somebody else to do it for you, but he didn't. He said, Tom, you only have your first kid once. So I'll tell you what, how about I do all the marking this year, and we'll just share it as normal next year. Okay. And why did he do that? Well, because he's my mate, and he cares for me. And what's more, he's got four kids, and he knows exactly what it's like. <laughs> so he was thinking to himself, you know, he's going to have a lot to do in the future. And what's more, there were other situations around that, other ways people took burdens off me. I remember sort of, you know, as I was going off, saying to people, oh, just while I'm off, if this student comes in, you've got to say this to them, and, and I've got that seminar, I haven't quite prepared it, so if you can just finish that bit off. And, and everyone's kind of like, look, Tom, thank 
don't worry about it, okay? We'll sort it. And maybe this is a word for you, that something I realized is that, in the nicest possible sense, we're not quite as vital to our workplaces as we think we are. <laughs> you know, if you're gone, they'll replace you within an hour if they needed to, and somebody else will get it all sorted. But it was nice, because they weren't saying to me, oh, fine, we'll fill in for you. Yeah, fine, you've dropped us in at this time. No, no, no. It's like I'm saying, no, no, let us take the burden off you. And that's what the Lord is saying here. I'll take that burden for you. Cast your anxiety on him. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. And notice it never says, make your request to God. God will sort out your request. That is, God will get rid of the storm, and then you'll have peace. It doesn't say that at all. Actually, we don't pray with one eye on faith and the other eye on the circumstance, saying, God, get rid of the circumstance. How's he getting on? Circumstance, how's he getting on? We don't do that. What we do is we pray to the Lord in faith with thanksgiving. It's a prayer of faith. Lord, I thank you that you can do this. I thank you that you're powerful. I thank you that you can sort this worry, this care, this anxiety for me. It's powerful that. Some of my students sometimes will send me an email and they'll have a request in it and they'll put at the bottom of the email, thanks in advance. Okay? I'm going to be honest with you, it really annoys me. Okay? I just find it quite presumptuous. But what if I was kinder about their intentions there? And what they're really saying is simply, Tom, I know you can sort out this request to me. I trust you to be able to do this. I've got faith in you, and therefore thank you in advance. I'd prefer it if they said, thank you in advance because I trust you and have faith in you. And if you, for the greater good, decide that this is not the way it should be dealt with, then thanks for that as well. But that's probably not going to happen. Okay? <laughs> That's kind of what he's saying here. He's saying, do it with thanksgiving. Do it in faith. Don't look at how he's going to sort the problem out. No, the peace of God doesn't come once the problem's sorted out. It comes in response to your faith. You present your requests, and then the peace of God comes. And it guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Again, Philippi was a Roman colony. It was a garrison city. That was, there was a garrison a big wall around the city with a Roman soldier patrolling the top. If anyone messed with Philippi, they were messing with the Roman soldiers that were on watch. The people inside, therefore, had peace because Philippi was guarded. And this is the kind of language the Apostle Paul is using here. That peace which goes beyond any understanding, any way of trying to, trying to get through your own human reason, that is like a soldier on patrol outside, around your heart and mind, giving you peace. Don't worry about it, pray about it. Give it over to him in faith. He can handle it. And then the peace of God will come and will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be disciplined in your prayer life. But the other thing we need to be is we need to be disciplined in our thought life. Don't worry, pray and ponder the good things. I don't know if you've noticed this, but one of the biggest enemies we have in the fight against worry is our own thinking. It's our thoughts. I'm going to give you an example of just three things I've struggled with in the past that have not helped me in my thinking and caused me to worry. Number one is putting a negative interpretation on things. Just to illustrate, I remember one day coming back from work and Becky said, how did you get on? I'd just been feeling kind of anxiety, that horrible sort of poison feeling in your chest of worry throughout the day. One of the reasons is because I was thinking about this class I had at the end and it hadn't gone very well. And so I said to her, well, there's these two lads at the back and they were talking to each other and they were laughing and I was sure they were laughing about me and it just made me feel like a rubbish teacher. I just, I just felt really bad. You know, them talking like that, it made me feel bad. She said, no, it didn't. I said, yes, it did. She said, no, it didn't. I said, you are such a rude woman. You weren't even there. <clears throat> no, I didn't really. My wife, Becky, is Dr. Becky. She's a clinical psychologist. Uh, she actually did 
her uh, doctoral dissertation on generalized anxiety disorder. It's been very helpful for me. <clears throat> but I knew what she was doing at this point. She was doing what all psychologists would, would do. She's messing with my head. Okay, so I said, come on, let's have it. What's going on then? Um, that's a joke. Let me make that clear. Um, she said, no, no, that wasn't what happened. What happened was you saw what those lads were doing. You interpreted it in a certain way, and the interpretation gave you anxiety. In other words, it wasn't what they did, it was what you did. I said, tell me more. She said, well, what she helped me to do is this, is when those things come up, what I have to do is I have to challenge my thinking. I have to say to myself, do you know what? Odds are they were laughing at a joke they heard. You know, if I, if I logically think about this, I've had feedback over the years, I might not be the greatest teacher that's ever lived, but I'm not bad. There's no reason why they should be laughing about me. And even if they are, they're students. They don't even pay tax. Who cares? Okay? <laughs> but you need to challenge that negative thought. So that's one thing. Putting a negative interpretation on things. Another one is this. Technical term is ruminating, going over and over and over and over and over things in your mind. Does it help? No. So ruminating is another bad habit I'd gone into. And a third one, catastrophizing, turning any small thing, letting it snowball into a big catastrophe. So you know, Christmas afternoon, you had your Christmas lunch, you feel a bit of a sharp pain in your chest. So you do the only responsible thing, you go on Google and you put in <laughs> sharp pain in the chest. And what comes up? A hundred different ways you could be dead by New Year. Right? <laughs> What is it? No, in reality, you just overdid it on the pigs and blankets over lunchtime. But you're catastrophizing. You're turning a small thing, turning it into a big thing. And these things get into our mind and we just... Now, how do you get rid of a bad habit? You replace it with a good one. You don't think about those kind of things. The Apostle Paul tells us what to think about. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable... If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. Don't just be disciplined in your prayer life, be disciplined in your thought life. Grab a hold of those beautiful, true scriptures of God. Get out in nature and look at his wonderful creation. Think about those excellent and praiseworthy, beautiful things and the peace of God will be live with you. Let's be disciplined in our rejoicing, disciplined in our remembering. Let's be disciplined in our prayer life, disciplined in our thought life. And I believe we can start off 2019 with confidence, knowing that we're going to have an increase of peace amidst the storms. Thank you.